another article that was going around the precious metals community this week had to deal with confiscation risk. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics for this week's weekly physical silver report. Joined once again by Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin for weekly report each Tuesday. And Andy, it's great to have you back on here today. Nice to see you. And how is everything going with you? Yeah, other than my hair, which is getting so long that's bugging me, which will be taken care of tomorrow. Everything is good, man, and it's always good to see you, and I was hoping we were able to do this from uh, my house here today, but next week I'm not going to let you out of it, so one of these days you're going to come over here since you're down here by me, and we're going to do this properly, but uh, it's always good to be back and good to see you. Well, we'll make it there soon enough. I uh, had a little cold this weekend, so I didn't want to sneeze on you and get your silver wet or anything like that, but... Um, <laughs> A lot to talk about this week in the silver market, although before we dig into some of the other things that are ongoing, just wanted to get a quick look at the premium levels, anything order flow wise that has developed since the last week. No, we're kind of in a holding pattern. Um, you know, as we mentioned, Silver Eagles have gone up a bit from where they were, but everything else is fire sale. And, you know, um, counterintuitive to me, the world to me has not changed course 180 degrees. In fact, you could argue it seems to be getting more chaotic by the day, but that is kind of lost, I think, on uh, a lot of a lot of the public who is not really motivated yet to chase gold and silver the way that they have been for the last several years. And you know, you also have the U.S. Mint that's gone out of their way to push back against all of the backlash that they've received for, for being woefully, uh, um, you know, uh, undercapitalized or under rather underutilizing the ability of the mint to create silver eagles to meet demand. Um, and, and rightfully so, I mean, it's been a joke, but they print made over 3 million in the month of August. So all I can tell you, Chris, it's it's very befuddling to me, man. It, it truly is. It's the, the price and the premium and the availability is as good as it's been since 2019. And yet, maybe I just see the world differently. Maybe maybe others see it more clearly than I do. But to me, I would argue that the fundamentals that would, would um, tell people they need to have exposure to gold and silver has never been higher. Now, don't don't get me wrong, okay? Because we're we're way ahead of last year, and last year I thought it was a year that we would never do better than. And the year before that was the same thing. I mean, we've we've had great years, and there's been tremendous demand, <laughs> but we've gone through a period of time where, to me, the world is scarier than it's been. You take the pandemic out of the equation, you can see it's already starting to rear its head again. You take that out of the equation, and to me, the world is scarier today than it was three years ago. And for the last three years, premiums and availability have been ridiculous. Super high premiums, long delivery delays. And now, when things are, are really starting to crescendo into craziness as we get closer to the election, as we, as we see more and more things developing around the world and here at home, I mean, all I see in my mind's eye is a need to um, mitigate your exposure to traditional assets and um, and to own gold and silver, not 
as an investment, but as a hedge against all this craziness. And and yet maybe I'm somewhat of a, a minority. I guess I probably am because all I can say is that the premiums are as attractive as they've been since 2019. The availability is as good as it's been easily since then. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, it's an unusual time. But this market has a habit of doing things like that, very counterintuitive behavior. And that's part of the reason that the big money has been able to accumulate all that they have by injecting counterintuitive price and rhetoric into an environment where logic in my mind dictates otherwise, but it is that environment that has enabled them to accumulate so much, to quietly de-dollarize, to drain the exchanges. I mean, how else can you explain the central banks buying more gold than at any time in the past, you know, forever, over the last 18 months, um, and the price not going to the moon? It is because they are using the suppression of the Western system to run cover for their accumulation of hard assets, for their de-dollarization, and they're using like in Nijitsu, the leverage of the West against them. And that plays out all the way down to a public who is uh, not only woefully unprepared for what is coming based upon uh, debt levels, uh, uh, you know, credit card debt over a trillion dollars, $17 trillion in house debt, 60% of the country living paycheck to paycheck, 45% of people who make over $100,000 living paycheck to paycheck, uh, all of the craziness in the banking system, I mean, I can go on and on and on. And as far as I'm concerned, the public, who is always last to catch on at some point, and I, I've said consistently, it'll be a bank failure, one that is bailed in, and I really do believe that is coming, That like that goes right back to where we've been for the last three and a half years. When I say great availability and, and best premiums, I mean, look, that's within reason you see a, a, a 2% of the public dip their toe in the water and that changes overnight. And you know, I'll go back to Richard, uh, or to, to Rick Rule rather, who still says the same thing. One half of 1% participation across the entire financial matrix in the United States, people who are invested in gold and silver. Well, what if that number just goes to two and a half percent? That's a five-fold increase in demand. And overnight, it all changes. So what is true today may not be true tomorrow. You see another banking problem, and this time they follow the Dodd-Frank legislation where they need to be bailed in rather than bailed out. Chris, I'll bet you, I'll bet you over 50% of this country, probably more like 75, has not even a clue what a bail-in is or the risk that they are putting themselves in in being in the positions they are. So yes. We're in a holding pattern. Premiums are low. Availability is as good as it's been in, in almost four years. And in my mind, it's all upside down. It should be the opposite of that. And uh, But there you go. If you're looking to add, never been a better time since prior to the pandemic. Well, I hear what you're saying. And reminds me in some ways of looking at the VIX, the volatility indicator that Obviously, spiked, uh, I believe it got up to 80 back in 2008 when things were falling apart. Then settled down was uh, pretty pretty static for better part of the last decade. And I guess maybe that's the problem with trying to price or time tail risk because you have long periods of time where you're sitting there and it feels like you're watching paint dry and you know you can see things on the horizon, but until they 
manifest. It seems as if uh, certain indicators just stay where they are. So either case. What's the old saying, you're right. What's the old saying? The market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. But you're right. I mean, you always have great comebacks, and uh, which is one of the reasons I love talking to you. Um, your insight is as good as anyone out there. And but I I will tell you it doesn't make sense to me. This entire thing just does not make sense to me. And how people can sleep well at night, leaving their money in a banking system that is on razor's edge and fractured the way that it is undercapitalized and overleveraged, how they can leave their money in 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 brokerage accounts where only two stocks or three stocks are leading the way of the entire marketplace. And to think that that is safe uh, in an environment where the banks are, are, are as risky as they've ever been um, and all of the external factors, let alone an administration who seems to be doing all of the wrong things. Um, and, you know, so for me, it just doesn't make sense. And I hope that, Little by little, the people that watch this show, maybe pass it on to their friends and their family, that some people will at least start to do their own due diligence and look around and pull the blinders off and, and realize things aren't always as good as the mainstream media wants us to believe. Quite frankly, I, I'm kind of concerned and, and although almost intrigued uh by what's coming next to see you know it's it's kind of like driving past a car wreck you don't want to look but you look and i think that's what we're about ready to come into in, in in the economy and in the broader sense of things with the way the rest of the world views this country and the ramifications of it and this coalition of bricks and all of these things that are happening faster and faster and faster and more every week every week and and it hasn't manifested in gold and silver. And that is the counterintuitive behavior that people are having a hard time with. But you know, when you talk about it not manifesting, understand that if you look at a chart over the last five years of, and I said this to you the other day, dollar sign in front of XAU, WCU, it is an indice of the 20 largest economies in the world and gold's up 59.64% against that in the last five years and almost 10% this year alone. It is the strength of the dollar that is blurring the reality of what gold and silver are actually doing. And, and the people who bought it five years ago are not selling it right now to reposition. That 60% gain only reinforces the motivation they employed to own it to begin with. Their concern is being validated. And here, unfortunately, because of, of the strength, the inordinate, unjustified strength of a dollar that has really nothing behind it but a mountain of debt making us a banana republic, for some reason, on God's green earth, I don't quite understand it. It's at valued at, as they say, the, the best smelling shirt in the dirty laundry basket. And... For that reason, gold and silver are masked. Their real performance or their real value has been masked, but to the majority of the world, no, it, they're doing their job admirably and then some. Yeah, and I, I think it was last week where we mentioned how the dollar index, wasn't sure if it was 70 or 81% because it's 59% Euro, 11% uh, Japanese yen, and then another 11% British pound. So 70% if you had two of those, 81% if you had three. So similar economic ideology of more credit creation. And, um, you know, you see the same thing happening around the globe. And 
actually had a friend who wrote an interesting piece, touched on some of the similar themes to that Washington Post article that came out last week showing how even now in the supposed economically viable economy, we're, we're sparking up those deficits again. And he was pointing out the 8 million and one ways in which it's not ideal that we're about to cross 33 trillion. And I was wondering, I mean, I guess the guys in Congress and Washington, they know about it. And do you think sometimes it reaches the point where it's like they know, but it's like, shit, what, what, what can we really do about it? Or maybe they've just thrown in the towel behind the scenes and they see it's out there yet. It's interesting to wonder what the thought process is on that one. Yeah, you know, if you go back, I think 2019, I, uh, this is all from memory, so I'm going to get it close. But we took in somewhere in the neighborhood of four and a half trillion, I want to say, in tax revenue this year or last year, 2022. And we still have a deficit of almost two trillion dollars. But you take that back to 2017 or 18, and that gives us a half a trillion dollar surplus. You actually put it against the the um, the debt. This is all about stupid spending that we don't have. Where we're giving you know billions and billions and billions of dollars to the Ukraine, and we're broke. We're we're giving money like drunken sailors and spending it all around the world in stupid ways and yet we're broke and we're borrowing money just to pay the interest on the debt, let alone to give away to other countries. Uh, and, you know, at the same time we have, a, you know, I've, I've said many times where, you know, giving 50, 60, 70 billion to the Ukraine is okay, but 5 billion to build a border wall to keep our kids from dying of fentanyl and 6 million illegal um, people coming in illegally into this country, it's just, it's just upside down. What are we doing? What are we thinking? We are broke. We are insolvent. And I don't think the people in Congress even know how big a trillion is. A trillion seconds ago was 31,688 years ago. We're broke. We're insolvent. We're a banana republic. And we continue to spend. And, you know, that's the thing. I mean, the argument is, well, there's no better alternative. So, you know, the rest of the world will take the dollars. And so that gives us the ability just to do as we want with it, to print and borrow and spend to unlimited degrees. This is not about anything other really than this, the stupid amount of spending. And if we were to rein in our, our, our spending, just with the tax revenue alone, we would be able to start paying down our, our debt and we get to a point pretty quick as we continue as rates rise and we continue to spend in a, in a in a ridiculous manner where we've crossed that ability to ever come back some would say we're already there but you know um who's going to make the tough choices who's going to cut entitlements welfare checks and and um unemployment checks and food stamps and all of these entitlements that we give away who's going to do that who's going to stop you know, giving away uh, the who's going to vote in Congress for their pensions and their health plan, health care plans and all of these things that are bankrupting this country. Um, it just that's what politicians do. No one wants to make the tough decisions. And I can think of one politician, one going all the way back to 1980, who made a really difficult choice. And that, and that would be Paul Volcker, who raised interest rates to a level that blew everything up. Now, this is a guy who, who who wanted us to go through pain to get to a better place. And we haven't done that yet. In fact, and you could argue in 2008, you mentioned before, 
the, the, the debt in 2008 was 800 billion. Now it's 8 trillion. We're supposedly paying off our balance sheet. It's still above 8 trillion on the Fed's balance sheet. Where's all the quantitative tightening? It's still above $8 trillion. So it's gone from $800 billion to $8 trillion on that balance sheet, and almost everything is related to interest rates. So as the Fed buys all of these bonds and mortgage-backed securities, they've created an illusion of value. They've created an illusion where asset prices are distorted because of suppression of interest rates and easy money. There's going to be hell to pay. And that's why I'm so befuddled that the public doesn't get this, that how do people not understand? You do not need to be economists to understand this. And that's, to me, what is, is so befuddling um, and why I think we're in a far worse position than we were in 2008. We are more in debt. We are more leveraged. We have less in assets. And the world's a crazier place. And our administration just keeps making the wrong decisions. And here again, they just suspended, I don't know, seven or eight permits uh, for drilling in the Anwar, uh, up, up in Alaska. And um, so, you know, we, we the first thing we did was cut the Keystone pipeline. We, we pushed Saudi Arabia away. And now we're canceling more and more permits and making it more and more difficult to be energy sufficient as 80% of the oil is now under the BRICS control. I mean, what are we doing? And yet, you know, I think the rest of the world looks at us and says the same thing. What the hell are they doing? Who are they anymore? And it's it's very disconcerting for me. I've been very consistent in saying that to me, what is happening inside this country with our leadership and the decisions they're making is more troubling by a long shot to me and the future I see my kids living in than what all of the ills that we've done with the world reserve currency, including weaponizing it of it. And um, I just think that there will be a, a price to pay. And this is why you buy gold and silver, not to get wealthy. It's because all of these things are adding up. And if you, you know, maybe the people who don't see it, obviously they're just not paying enough attention and they're not, they're not understanding because they don't research because everyone nowadays is so exhausted from just trying to keep up where 60% of the public's living paycheck to paycheck, how hard do you have to work just to keep your head above water? And then you get to that point, the last thing they want to do is to spend two hours reading about what's happening in the economy in the country and try to fight all of the people who tell them they're nuts. So I get it, but I think there's a day of reckoning coming. And that's why I go out online and say these things. And I tell people, this is not an investment, it's wealth. And it's wealth that the smartest money in the world who know the playbook are accumulating and using the suppression and the counterintuitive action. I mean, ask yourself, why the hell are two or three or four banks short the largest concentrated short position on COMEX in silver? Why? What sense does it make? There's something bigger behind it. And then at the same time, you see the exchanges being bled dry. They're using the suppression against the West of the West against them. And there are entities standing for delivery. And one of these days, it will become very evident that the one tool people have to protect themselves has become impossible to get, or has huge premiums or huge delivery delays, or the only thing you're able to get are things that no one wants. So I try to be consistent. I sound like a broken record. And I'm okay with that. Because I would say this to my children every day, every night, the same damn thing until it gets into their head. 
because I think that there is going to be that moment of mass uh, awakening. And I will also stay consistent. I believe it will start with a very large bank failure that will be bailed in. And that's when things really start to accelerate. So this calm, this eye of the hurricane, calm before the storm, whatever you want to call it, is a blessing. If you look at it that way, uh, it shouldn't be viewed any other way, in my opinion. It's a stupid blessing. The stupid being the people that are allowing it to happen. And we're just bankrupting this country. We're selling all the gold and silver out of this country. And we're leading our public, most importantly, down a very perilous path without without any protection. They're going up a river with no paddle. Well, I hear you. And like you said, I think it is overwhelming for a lot of people that go out and work all day and then come home and real real mood setter before cuddly romantic. I understand that, too. The Mrs. or the Mr. And uh, yeah, it is. I don't know if it's appropriate or not to giggle at it a little bit or try and bring some levity to it. Um, I, I struggle with reading through these things each day and especially as I'm studying more about the energy situation lately where it's like, geez, I thought the financial was bad enough. Then you look at energy dynamics and um, a lot out there, but guess what we can do is try and prepare as much as possible rather than be upset about what we do or don't like about a given situation easier said some days than others but um in either case another article that was going around the precious metals community this week had to deal with confiscation risk that's something i'm sure we've talked about before but has probably been a while and obviously we did have confiscation which i hear most people didn't turn their metal in back in the 30s sorry for the tv in the background i can i don't want to get up and go shut it off watching Fox News in the background, but that's the executive order that Roosevelt used to confiscate gold in April, May 1st, 1933. Uh, everything had to be turned in, and I don't think it'll happen this time. Um, some people do. Typically, it's those people that sell numismatic coins that will speak that narrative. I love numismatic coins. I sell them, too. I still don't think that gold will be confiscated um, unless it's checkmate. And I guess we could get to that point. I'm far be it for me to say we couldn't. But I think when you look at JP Morgan as the administrator of the world's largest silver trust, amongst other ETFs that they run, who just paid a $920 million fine for manipulating the market, who who told we heard learned all about what JP Morgan is about in your groundbreaking interview with Bar Chilton. We know that their head trader Michael Nowak and and the guy that ran their desk also um, um, the guy that ran their desk desk Michael Nowak and the head trader both just got sentenced I think a couple of years in prison for doing this stuff and yet they're still allowed to be the administrator of the world's largest silver trust. You have HSBC Bank. God knows how many billions of dollars in fines they've paid over the last several years for all sorts of things, ranging from LIBOR manipulation to, to laundering drug money for South American cartels, um, drug cartels. Uh, and yet they're the administrator of, of, of um, GLD. You got BlackRock mixed in there with SLD. And, and you, got, you got some pretty shady characters running the world's largest ETFs that supposedly hold the silver segregated and and the gold so they can come in on a friday night take those accounts from the cartel banks that suppress the price and do the government's biddings 
And and it would be right there with a the bow wrapped around it. Everyone gets the shit, whatever their account value is worth on Friday when the biz, when they do this end of business. Monday morning, it's in their money market account. And they can say to the world, hey, what, what did we do? We didn't, we didn't do anything illegal. We didn't violate any civil liberties or break laws. We just did what the prospectus gives us the right to do. If they go door to door trying to take gold from what amounts to the pimple on the elephant's ass, you know, back in 33, everybody owned it. It was currency. Might be legal tender right now, but it's not currency. And so the people that own it are the very, very few, like Rick Grill said, one half of 1%. You know, how many people, if you show a silver eagle, I know a lot of times you'll have silver with you and show someone a silver eagle. It's the, the reaction is universal. Wow, that's so cool. What is that? Where'd you get that? Really? The U.S. Mint makes it now? 2020? Really? And they don't have any idea. But back then it was money. Everyone owned it. And there was patriotism and there was belief in the greater good that the government was trying to do, at least much more so than it is now, where, you know, people who collect gold and silver by and large probably belong to the NRA. It doesn't make any sense for IRS officials, even though they hired 88,000 of them and a lot of them had to, uh, to you know, say that they have no problem using a firearm. Uh does that mean they're going to come door to door and say, give us your gold? Maybe, I guess. It's a possibility. I don't think it'll happen, though. I think they can have their cake and eat it, too, without risking the global backlash of the center of free trade and the world reserve currency activating eminent domain the way Venezuela did. And um, instead, I think they have perfect vehicle, these big ETFs that the big funds will invest in or the financial advisors who don't want money taken out from under management to a company like mine, we'll say, no, buy GLD and SLB. That's all you need. It attracts all of the big money held by two banks that are part of the game. So what do I think about confiscation? I don't think about confiscation. If it happens, well, so be it. Eminent domain says you have to be pay paid a fair value. Would it suck? Absolutely. But in that environment, you probably have worse things to worry about than trading in your gold and silver because... Uh, for them to do that, I think it would have to be really, really, really bad. And I don't think the amount of gold held by the U.S. public would amount to anything in terms of backing a new system. Um, it, it, to me, would just be something that would um, only create unintended consequences globally. So don't think it'll happen. But for those that are concerned about it, yes, you can buy pre-1933 gold and silver coins, Um we can sell you Morgan silver dollars and peace silver dollars. We can sell you the $20 gold piece to St. God and the Liberty or $10 or $5. And I, I'm very adept in it because before the turn of the century, nobody bought bullion. Nobody did. If you have $350 or $400 gold and a gold eagle at $350 gold is $380 and a $20 gold piece is $410, Who's going to buy a brand new coin when you can buy a hundred year old piece of Americana in, in uncirculated conditions, safe from confiscation with better upside potential for 30 bucks? Nobody. That's who. No one bought bullion back then. Everyone bought the $20 gold piece right there. And I love them. But now we are in a period of time where arguably the most important thing is ounces of gold in, in the right fashion, like a gold eagle um, or, or silver eagles or whatnot instead of a, a rare morgan silver dollar or an ms64 morgan dollar whatever it may be that um is going to have high premiums 
it's a different environment right now. If money was no object, sure, I'd buy nothing but the $20 gold pieces. But even remember that if it really comes down to it, it's not the coins that give you the exemption. It is the motivation that one employs for owning gold. In particular, the exemptions were levied upon three classification of people, dentists with dental gold, jewelers with jewelry, and collectors of coins. And if you have a million dollars worth of $20 liberties that are all the same grade and roughly the same date, because common date $20 liberties, 1904, 1907, 1896, you know, these dates that are very, very, very common, that's what most people would buy when they buy large quantities at a good price. You want to start diversifying your portfolio between date and mint mark and type and all that stuff, which we can do for you. But now you're going to start paying some significant premiums. And if that's what you want, sure, you have now added an extra layer of security to, to your portfolio in terms of what it really is. It's a collection of pre-33 gold coins and you're a collector. And we can help diversify it for you if that's the road you want to go. But for me, I would say to most people, um, you want to stick with at least coins from the six major mints, US, Canada, Austria, Australia, South Africa, United Kingdom. Modern mint is fine. Um, my personal preference would be gold eagles and silver eagles and gold buffaloes. Um, the, the silver buffalo that everyone sees, that's not made by the US mint. Those are private refinery. The silver uh, eagle is what the US mint makes. They don't make a silver buffalo. But to me, that's probably a better choice for most people. You have tons and tons of money and already have a bunch of bullion, fine, buy some numismatics, but don't go putting your nest egg into rare numismatics to protect you from confiscation in the environment we're going in, it ain't going to mean squat. I wouldn't do it. And uh, maybe as the cherry on top of the Sunday, I think you prepare best you can and hope for the best uh, and, and hope it, the worst doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, that's why there are people out there that I respect. I'm not going to mention names because there's someone I love and, and the person's great. But the, the price that they sell numismatics for, uh, large in part, is, is very, very, very expensive. And, and that isn't what you want in this environment. It isn't. I think you want quantity um, in the right form. And I just don't think that the government would risk that global backlash unless they had no other choice. Because who's going to ever trust us again if we confiscate stuff from our own citizen base? And that's crossing the line that I don't know that we have the patriotism in this country to support it. I don't know that um, the rest of the world would ever trust the U.S. already after we've weaponized the dollar against people outside the country. Now we're taking assets from people inside. Our days of being the world reserve currency in the center of free trade would be over with. And so to me, um, less likely than a lot of people would think. All right. Well, appreciate that. And obviously something that I think people will certainly wonder about from time to time. And unfortunately, I don't think there is a certain answer out there. Perhaps some international diversification of storage is one way of hedging around that. Hopefully, it seems a little hard to imagine you'd have global, global confiscation of gold and silver. I mean, then we're really getting into a big effort there. Well, let's talk about that for one moment because you bring up a good point. I mean, we have storage programs in Canada and you take what, what, uh, uh, what's his name did uh, what's his name the prime minister up there that goofball yeah, yeah who uh trudeau who who 
usurp the rule of law and due process, well, that freaked a lot of people out. But the point of it is, is that when you store gold outside the United States, there is a form, uh, I believe it's IRS 8938, FATCA. Uh, there's also FBAR that goes to the treasury. And these two forms basically say, if you own any metal outside the United States, we need to know about it. You got to tell us. And the only way that that's not the case is for our safe deposit box program in Toronto and Vancouver. And, and this, this is what uh, Mark Nesman told me. He thought that ours was the only compliant program out there. Let me just explain quickly. When we started our offshore storage program about 15 years ago in Montreal, I asked the IRS through two different attorneys privately, they would say, our client wants to know when they were right at the IRS, what do you mean by directly held? Because the IRS is clear, yet very not clear in what they say is reportable. They say precious metals held outside the United States in order for it to be non-reportable must be directly held in a non-financial institution. So right off the bat, if it's held in a bank, it's reportable. And directly held, uh, it goes on to say that pooled accounts are not directly held. So you keep it in a pooled account um, where it's not segregated, like, um, like let's say a Perthment certificate that is non-allocated. That's reportable because it is not directly held. It is an unallocated account. So you know, we keep back, we keep sending them letters. You haven't responded. You haven't responded. You haven't responded. What is directly held? And finally, we just assume that directly held meant segregated and audited and specifically in Chris Marcus's name and audited to Chris Marcus, who gets a statement and an auditing statement and all of, and we can't touch it. It's, it's in your account, period. That to me is directly held. And I still believe that to this day. Well, they finally come back to us a year or two after, and they say, we reserve the right to not tell you what we believe is directly held. I mean, can you believe that from the IRS? Of course, right? Well, about a year or two later, they came out with a, a report or a, a clarification. And I think it's still probably there if you Google basic questions and answers form 8938, brings you right to the IRS website. And basically what it said was that precious metals held outside the United States must be directly held in a non-financial institution to not be reportable. Example, safe deposit box in a non-financial institution. So we parlayed at that point what was the seven or eight year fantastic relationship with Brinks and we built and have an exclusive with them in Toronto and Vancouver, the only safe deposit box program that they have. It's inside the vault in Vancouver and Toronto. You hold the only key and the only spare, they're brand new one key boxes. And, and Mark Nesman, who is a privacy expert, said that's the only one that is fully non-reportable. I don't agree with him. I think our other accounts that are directly held in my mind is non-reportable because it is fully segregated and it is audited and we can't touch it. But the safe deposit box, I think the term he used several years ago was something like bailment, where they can't go and open it. The only way they can open it is to drill the box open. So if the client holds the only key and the only spare, even if they can't get up there to access it, which they can, but if they can't, they send it up to the institution and it's opened under camera uh, with two Brinks employees. But the point of it is, is that it, it's directly held. And that was the only time the IRS gave an example, an example of what they consider directly held. And they didn't say the only example. So to your point about keeping it offshore and confiscation, if you keep metal offshore in anything but fully segregated 
or in a safe deposit box in a non-financial institution, you must report it on FATCA and FBAR. FATCA form 8938 to the Treasury and FBAR to, or to the IRS and FBAR to the Treasury. And these forms are due in, in like July. They're not part of the October you know, 15th filing or whatnot. These are done in the summer separate from your 1044 form or whatnot. So to your point, they're buttoning those things up as well. And, and that's why so many people were kicked out of Switzerland and, and other countries. And, and you can't open bank accounts easily because when the IRS first went to the Swiss bank accounts before they made it known here, they went to the companies like UBS and Credit Suisse and said, give us the list of your clients or we're going to freeze you in Swift. You're not going to, we're going to freeze your assets. And so all of our clients, our business started on Swiss investments. All of our clients back then, 15 years ago, got letters from UBS and Credit Suisse saying, you got 60 days to close your account or we're going to give your info to the IRS. Close it now and we won't. And that's what everyone did. So they went after the banks first. And then they told everyone here in the States, you keep anything offshore, we want to know about it. So in a very roundabout way, addressing your point. Yeah, Doug Casey always said, keep some of your wealth in a different jurisdiction. If you're going to do it, be smart about it, or you will need to report it. And if you don't, if you have metal offshore right now in a pooled fashion and you're not reporting it or not in a segregated fashion and you're not reporting it, the penalties on FBAR are out of control. And you should Google it and research it for those of you who this applies to. They're really very, very, very strong penalties. So they're trying to close that loophole too, I guess is all I'm saying. So hope for the best, prepare best you can for the worst. And uh, if that means buying numismatics or using one of our safe deposit box programs, we're happy to help. I don't think you need to go that far, but for those people who think they need to, we can help. You gotcha. Well, appreciate some color on that one. And before we wrap up, we did have another question that came in this week. It was about the American Eagles and, for example, the first strike MS-70 graded coins. And he was saying, is the value in the Silver Eagle uh, more so than the graded slab? His thought process was that, you know, having it graded would make it more authentic if at some point you do want to trade it in. But I was wondering really what is the, is there value to having a MS-70 graded Eagle or anything you could share on that? No, it's not. I mean, it's lipstick on a pig as far as I'm concerned. Um, when you talk about the old coins, like if you can see this, these are all Morgan Silver Dollars, MS64. They're uncirculated and, and the date is um, 1890. All right, so you got a, a coin there that's uh, what 130 um, years old. And in uncirculated condition, yeah, you definitely want it to be certified. Um, back then, no one cared about, I mean, does anyone really care what the dollar bill in their wallet looks like or the quarter that they have in their pocket? Do they take extra special care? No, no nor did they. Or the baseball cards. You know, I got a rare baseball card collection, Babe Ruth's and Cy Young's, and I built it through my business over over 30 years, I would put in the newsletter, if you own baseball cards, send them in, I'll buy them from you and trade you gold. And this was in the 90s, I would have boxes up to my ceiling, I became a power seller on eBay, all those old base car, baseball cards from the 50s and, and earlier into the early 1900s. They're all certified by PSA, which is part of PCGS or Collector's Universe. 
because they have to be because they're rare and they are worth a lot of money. Whereas the baseball cards nowadays, every kid knows to take special care of them and they put them in plastic or put them in notebooks or, or in cases or whatever to protect them. But back then kids put them in their bike spokes to find an old gold or silver coin from the turn of the century or an old baseball card that's 70, 80, 90 years old in great condition is rare. When you buy coins from the U.S. Mint or any other mint for that matter, there's 500 ounces in a mint box. You send 500 ounces to PCGS, 50 to 100 coins will come back MS-70. The rest will be MS-69. They're all perfect. MS-70 is the highest grade possible. But what good does it do you to have an MS-70 coin when in reality, it's really nothing that overly special if you think about it? So... I mean, yeah, they're worth a little bit more, but MS69s, I was saying to you offline here that I, I bought some half ounce eagles recently from a distributor here down in Florida who I do a lot of business with. And he gave me MS69s, thought he was doing me a favor. And I was kind of annoyed by it actually, because I didn't want them. I wanted to fill out a tube, but he thought he was hooking me up. The truth of the matter is, is that the dealers, they look at the MS69 as the same thing as one that isn't certified. So in essence, you're buying a coin that costs $35 to certify that a dealer made a story out of when there isn't a story to begin with. If you're going to use certification, yeah, MS-70, it should be, I guess, in theory, and it's worth a little bit more, but it should be reserved in my mind for older US-based numismatics. Um, and, you know, in terms of, in terms of authenticity and whatnot, you know, 500 coins that are certified, you know, you're, you're going to need the space of probably five mint, uh, five mint boxes. Uh, no, I can get 60 slabbed coins. I think it's, I think it's 60 per, I can get 180 slab coins in a mint box okay. in rows. I think that's about right. A mint box comes to 500. So you're going you're gonna to need three mint boxes worth of space to have MS-70 or MS-69 graded coins, and you're going to pay a huge premium for them. Whereas if you just buy regular commercial strike coins from a reputable company, you have nothing to worry about. I guess the bottom line is simply this. Certification on modern minted coins is a way for dealers to make more money in a market that has very small margins. And I would tell anyone who does it, you're making a huge mistake. Um, if you're going to buy something truly rare, Morgan's piece, old $20 gold pieces, yeah, certification's great. But um, in anything modern, and if it's MS69 or first strike or early release, it's it's lipstick on a pig. Okay, MS70 is worth a little bit more, but it ain't worth the premium. Just focus on buying brand new stuff in tubes or in boxes and you'll be fine. And look, this is why gold and silver have been money for 5,000 years. You cannot hold something that is not real in your hand if it's a one ounce coin. If it's if it's not silver, you'll know in 10 seconds, two seconds, one second, you'll know if it's fake. Um, if you have any understanding whatsoever of what metals are. And um, I would tell people it's a big mistake. Alrighty, well, appreciate that and everything else you shared. And perhaps before we wrap this one up for this week, anything on special that people should know about who are in the market for silver? Yeah, we have uh, in gold, we have one tenth ounce gold eagles at $37.50 over the price of silver. So you take gold, divide it by 10 at 
We have Valcampi Kilo bars at $1.99 over the price of silver. And we also have silver bars in a bundle that uh, we make at the, at the um, uh, Nordic Mint, North Dakota, and where my vault is. And we have five ounce and 10 ounce bars. So if you buy five, five ounce and five 10 ounce, they're $1.89 over spot. Everything I mentioned is in stock and ready for immediate delivery. So we a bundle in five ounce and 10 ounce, five of each, buck 89 over. The Valcambi Kilo bars that come in boxes of 15, they're all serialized with certificates of authenticity, $1.99 over spot per ounce. And then the one 10 ounce Gold Eagle, 37.50 over melt. Everything is on sale right now, Chris. And, and this is just an example of it. All righty. Well, you can find out more at Arcadia at milesfranklin.com. And if you have questions about either of those specials or anything else in general, it doesn't have to be just that, but be happy to uh, get back in touch with you and shed some light on anything. Uh, could be any of the topics we talked about today. So Andy, appreciate you joining me as always. I guess next week you can give us your Fed preview, exciting conference coming up and only eight days, so uh, I know everyone's going to be looking forward to that one at home. Seems like they're going to hold interest rates steady for the next meeting, but um, be plenty to talk about. We'll leave that until next week, but thanks again for everything you shared here today, and I'll look forward to catching up with you soon. I love you, brother. I look forward to it, and, and I'm going to twist your arm if you're not here next week, so Hopefully we do this in person. I'm not crying because I miss you. I got allergies that are driving me crazy. My eyes are watering. So it's probably a good time to, to sign off. But I appreciate the heck out of you, Chris. And um, I uh, look forward to picking up where we left off. Well, thank you, Andy, for this week's report. Good to catch up with him as always and get an idea of what's going on with the premiums, the order flow, and the other developments in silver. And I can imagine that we'll see an environment similar to what he described where Premiums stay on the lower side for a while, and then we have the next event or round of chaos in the banking system that changes things and sparks them back higher. Also, I think there will be a degree to which whenever the Fed finally does declare that it is done hiking interest rates, that we'll see some activity then. So either case, hope you found that one helpful at home. And before we wrap up, just like to thank BlackRock Silver, who brought us today's show. As I've mentioned before, BlackRock Silver is exploring its projects in Nevada. The Tonopah West project, which is their flagship asset, had a 42 million ounce silver equivalent maiden resource that they announced last year. Although, of course, since they've done that, they've been doing step out drilling and growing the size of the resource. They're looking forward to updating that resource later this year and that's in addition to their Silver Cloud project, where they did have 70 grams per ton gold, 600 grams per ton silver in a release that came out earlier this year. And they've been drilling and we'll look forward to seeing the updates on how things are coming along there, but drilling underway. And additionally, they are still moving forward. Their lithium mineralization at Tonopah North it was a bit unexpected that they found lithium mineralization, but partnered with Tierlock Resources joint venture where Tierlock is doing the drilling and development in exchange for a percentage of the lithium mineralization that is produced. So a lot happening at BlackRock. You can find out more at blackrocksilver.com. Appreciate their support of the show as well as the good things that they're doing over there. With that said, going to wrap up for today, but we'll look forward to seeing you again tomorrow.